the mentality of it being a professional athlete is like, yeah, we're invincible and we should win at all costs and we should endure and push through. And if trials hit us, we should overcome and just fight for the win. Like, and don't give up, right? Like, in, especially in Ironman, there's always that mentality, like you finish no matter what. But sometimes in life, you have things that you have to look at. You got to go, okay, I need to, I need to correct or I need to withdraw or I need to just reevaluate. Aloha and welcome to another episode of the Chris Lieto podcast. This week, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to share with you guys an episode that I did with Triathlon Taron. It's on his podcast that we did uh, months back. And uh, some of the information that's in there I thought would be relevant and I wanted to share it with you. I wanted to be able to have a conversation where you guys can get to know me a little bit better, that you get to understand a little bit where I come from and my philosophy of racing and training, what brought me to the island of Hawaii and why I moved my family here, and what life has been since I retired from the sport or stopped racing uh, as far as Ironman. And kind of a little bit about why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I'm doing this podcast and why I really like helping people and seeing people succeed and grow and better themselves. So this episode, I hope you enjoy. Um, Thank you, Taryn, for allowing me to share this episode. If you guys want to check out more of uh, Taryn's episodes, go check out triathlontaryn.com. And check out his podcast and also his YouTube channel uh, to get some great videos on tips and training for the sport of triathlon. So thank you, Taryn, for that. And I also want to thank, of course, my sponsor. Uh, the main sponsor is Adaday. Adaday has been an amazing company. Um, someone who's believed in me and the story and the message that I wanted to get across. And allowed me to be an ambassador for their product to help consult in the things that they're doing and really want to help share the importance of their product line, which is about recovery, which is about bettering your life um, on the physical side and then looking at ways to improve your life through getting the recovery by the massage tools that they have, the BioZoom gun, uh, the things that will help you give yourself self-massage so you can muscles can recover, so you can be prepared and ready for the next day's workout so you can get the most out of your training to reach the goals that you have for yourself. So if you have tight muscles, any soreness, any issues, um, the BioZoom gun is a great gun and they have new things that are coming out, so I encourage you to go to the website outaday.com to check out some of the new things that are coming out. and. We have a coupon code, uh, Chris20, and that gives you a 20% discount on their site, um, any of the products that are on there. So go pre-order or go check out some of the new stuff as well and use coupon code Chris20 and use it for recovery, but also use it for activating your muscle group. So many times we go out for a workout and if your glutes are not activated or your hamstrings are tight or your calves are tight, that a lot of times you're not going to get the full range of motion and get the most out of your workout. So in this episode, you'll hear me talk about training, making sure you have a purpose and a reason to execute the training that you're about to perform. So make part of that is making sure that your body is equipped and ready for that. So check out adaday.com, Chris20 for a discount. And thank you so much, Adaday, for your support and everything that you do for me and for everyone that's got some of your products. So thank you guys. And now let's get to the episode with Triathlon Taryn and a little discussion and insight into myself and my life. So enjoy it. I think that this 
chat that we've had with Chris is one of the best podcasts that we've ever had because he's got this unique perspective of being a pro athlete at the highest level and now being forced to spend several years looking back on it. I think he's got a perspective that we haven't heard here. We're here with Chris Lieto, the man that is just living the dream on the big <laughs> island of Kona. I mean, that Frank, is our dream. That's our that, literal dream. That is our literal <laughs> dream of like the Being life, your neighbor, Chris. Lifestyles of the rich and famous, hopeful Terran future. Um, that's what we want, Chris. Being your neighbor. <laughs> yeah, it's actually not that hard as far as to get here. It took us a, a quick little trip and, and packed for two weeks and ended up staying. So before you know it, you could end up being stuck here. Are you ready? <laughs> are you ready? But are you ready to see Taryn strutting by your front window in his speedo every day? <laughs> I have a gate in my front yard, and I'll make <laughs> sure that it's locked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's not so easy for us, Chris, because you're dealing with Canadians and our money is like monopoly money. It's worth nothing. So I think, what would it cost us, Kim, like 200 million rubles of Canadian rubles (laughs) Rubles. to get there? (laughs) (laughs) So like living the dream here, you're living on Kona. What keeps you busy now? Yeah, well, a lot, really. I mean... Family is probably the biggest thing, just trying to be a parent and to just navigate that. It, you know, when, when they were younger, I thought it was a, a chore and a lot of work, and I thought it would get easier as they age, but it's actually been a lot of work. You know, my son is 15 and a half now, almost 16, so he's driving. He doesn't have his license, but he's got his permit. My daughter is 10 and a half, almost 11, and so time really goes by fast, and there's all these events and things that they're doing and activities and so just trying to keep up and be a good parent and still learning making mistakes and trying to process and correct that and move on and um, at the same time trying to uh, afford to live here in the dream of being here in Hawaii so working doing some coaching doing some consulting with some companies and athletes um, doing real estate doing some of my own as far as development deals as well as help helping others like yourself. If you want to move out here, I can help you find a place. So those are the things that I'm doing right now, as well as launching a new new coaching thing. So just trying to keep busy and help help those around me and and serve as much as I can. Yeah, I want to talk about your new coaching thing that you just announced literally hours ago. But first, um, let's stick with Kona because this is because <laughs> we're obsessed. This, yeah, we are fairly <laughs> obsessed about it. What's it like raising kids there? Like I picture. I picture it being good and bad because I think it's less big city. So I imagine less maybe trouble to get into just a little more quality of life, but then maybe less to do, but there's also less to do. Yeah, it's true. But there's a, you know, I think as a kid, no matter where you live, and I don't know if it's true for you, but it's true as far as for me, no matter where, where you live, as a kid, you always feel like there's nothing to do, right? You're always <laughs> yep. like, oh, this is so boring in this town. There's nothing to do. We want to explore and get out. And we want to go somewhere else or do something like, you know, and, and my kids are the same here, but there's also so much that you can do. It's just different, right? Like you don't have the big city. You don't have the high rises. You don't have the big malls. You don't have bus stops and media exposure and things pushing in your face all the time, which is positive. And for us, when we first came here, we came here in 2000, the end of 2010. 
uh, right after Ironman. It was during the winter season, and I normally take a month to two months off where I don't train at all. A month for sure where I don't train at all. No swimming, biking, or running. And then I take a month where I ease, ease back into the training, and then I usually do a training block. And usually during that training block in January, um, I would travel a lot of times and leave California and go to Maui to my friend's house there and train there for a month or so. And I started really um, not liking the sport of triathlon in a certain way just because I felt like it was taking away from my family and my values were shifting in my mind and my emotions and enjoyed racing, wanted to be the best and wanted to put what it took to be the best. But at the same time, I started wrestling with desiring to be more connected with my family. And in 2010, right after the Ironman, um, convinced my wife to come out to Kona uh, for us to come out on, on vacation. And I told her we would come for two weeks and we wouldn't stay for more than two months. And the deal was that after, that she couldn't complain or couldn't say that she wanted to go home until two weeks were up. So the plan was two months, but we'd buy a one-way ticket. And she literally packed for two weeks, anticipating as soon as that two weeks were up, she was going to pull out her card and say, okay, let's go home. The kids got to go back into school. Like, this isn't smart, all this other stuff. And so she packed for two weeks. And we came here. And at the end of two weeks, we were just loving it. It was, you know, I wasn't training. So there was a lot of time at the beach and doing activities, enjoying what the island has and friends and relationships and just the family community of what the islands have and, and Kona uh, especially just everyone is so inviting. And so we ended up staying for two months, which turned into six months, which turned into a year. Um, and we put the kids in school and we went home for the summer and we thought we were going to stay back in California, but throughout the summer, we just felt like it was such an amazing place that we were in it would be great to raise kids there. And just the value system of relationships and family and the quality of spending time with somebody is more important than hustling and trying to get the next job or make the most money or worry about what car you have or, or stuff like that. So that was kind of our, our entry point, I guess, into being here. And then we came back and we've been back for nine years. So we went back and forth a couple of times, but we've been we've been locked down now for a while. Can I ask why on earth she would have wanted to leave after two weeks? I mean, it's <laughs> Kona. Like what? Why did she think she would want to get out of there on day 15? Well, you know, partially is when you have a life somewhere else and you have friends and your kids are in school. My, you know, my daughter was two, I believe, at the time. And my son was five or six, I think. And at that time, they're just getting into school. And, you, you know, as, as parents of young kids, you think that they got to be in their class and doing their thing and um, just friendships and just kind of like this pipe dream that she knew I've always had, like you, like I, the dream is to be in Hawaii. My dream since I was a kid was to live in Hawaii and surf and be on the beach and and just live that experience of what, what you imagine Hawaii to be. And... I think that scared her a little bit of like, oh, am I going to trick her to be here and we're going to lock down and she's not going to want to move, right? When in reality, it was just like, let's spend some time and let's just enjoy ourselves. So there was, in the back of my mind, there was always like that dream of wanting to live, but it wasn't the ultimate goal at the time. And so for her, yeah, it's like, let's have our fun. Let's do our two weeks, um, but let's hop back and, and get back to real life. And she didn't realize that what real life could be here 
And now she wouldn't trade it. Now she, I mean, she absolutely loved it. The first, just imagine a, a woman flying to Hawaii, packing one suitcase and only enough clothes for two weeks and living a whole year on just nothing but what's in one small suitcase for two weeks. Most women would never do that. And so it, it forced her to only bring what she needed. And then you realize that in life, you only need, you only need the essentials. You only need a little bit. You don't need tons of stuff. And plus there's a target there. So there is target. There is a target there. So there's that. That was the saving grace. (laughs) There's a target and there's a Costco. And she probably frequents both of those places probably four or five times a week. if not more. Does Kona still keep its, um, Allure? I, it, I wouldn't say allure, Magic. but you know that you know that vibe that you get when you get onto the Big Island. Like the first few times you race there, I'm sure you felt it. Everyone talks about it. Does that still kind of have that that low hum of really neat energy when you live there, or does it just become where you live? Um the the longer that you live here the more it becomes the norm and who you are. So I guess I'll try to explain it this way. The first couple of years that I was here, I would still travel a lot. I was going to the mainland. I was doing work stuff and triathlon stuff and sponsor stuff. And I was going back and forth and, and keeping my business going and, and my career going. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed leaving. But every time I came back, it was that same thing that you're talking about. Every time I stepped off the plane, it was this weird, like breath of fresh air, your shoulders relax and drop an inch or two mm-hmm. and you have that smell and you're the like, smell. man, I am so lucky to be at home. Like I can call this home. I'm so lucky to be back. Why would I want to go anywhere else? And so then as the years went by, I wanted to travel less and less. And then it came to a point where every time I had to travel, the thought of traveling was cool. But then when it came to actually getting on a plane and leaving, I would always go, why am I leaving? Like, what do I have to do on the mainland that I can't do here and just stay here and not have to leave because it, it, coming back was so great. So then being here is like, I haven't traveled off Island that much in the last few years and I'm traveling a little bit more this year, but yeah, you just learn to embrace the Island and, and just the energy of it and just the peacefulness. And like I said, relationships and value system and stuff like that. It's, it's a great, it's a great place. This, this might all tie in together, but it like, kind of sounds like it does. And I'll ask you this. Um, was, can you just kind of describe, I guess, your exit from triathlon? Because when I saw you and we met in person at, uh, I want to say it was just this past year in Kona, um, I remember I saw you and I'm like, I started thinking back, I'm like, he really did like a mic drop. I'm out triathlon for a little while. And you sort of acknowledge that in the new coaching services that uh, you just announced that it's been a while since you've been around. Like, I don't know what went into all that. How much of it was the Island? How much of it was the sport burned out or how much of it was family? Like, can you just describe that process of, of getting to that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I definitely wouldn't call it a mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. I didn't finish quite on top or or where I would have hoped to be, but yeah, it was a, it was an interesting and challenging um, period of time. You know, um, in 2009 did really well at the Ironman here. Um, 2010 thought I was going to come back and, and really notch it up and, and win. And it didn't, it all unfolded. It all kind of unraveled and didn't work out. 
and then being here and then 2011 having that balance of focusing more on family and just being home but still training really well and training hard here and having some great results becoming national champion in the half Ironman um, having some great wins still in 2011 and 2012 but then I was just I was wrestling for a couple of years quietly um, with an Achilles issue um, a heel like Bursa Achilles issue where I couldn't train very much uh, in running I had to uh, go to like the elliptical trainer or the um, elliptigo, kind of like the that bicycle running mm, bike yeah. thing, and I would do that to as far as to get my running going still and and doing like lunges and things that would keep that strength going. But um, I couldn't train nearly as much, and I could still go and race. But when I would race the days after for three or four days, I couldn't walk. My ankle would swell like a, like a balloon. I would have like um, swelling in the Achilles. And so it was kind of like this two to three year or more journey of wrestling with, uh, I'm not invincible is one thing. Also trying to understand how to be a, a professional athlete, which the mentality of it being a professional athlete is like, yeah, we're invincible and we should win at all costs and we should endure and push through. And if trials hit us, we should overcome and just fight for the win. Like, and don't give up, right? Like, in, especially in Ironman, there's always that mentality, like, you finish no matter what. But sometimes in life, you have things that you have to look at. And you got to go, okay, I need to I need to correct or I need to withdraw or I need to just reevaluate. And so I wrestled emotionally just in my own life of, of who I am and my identity and racing with, like, okay, this is a quiet thing that not many people know about, but it's been a two- or three-year deal and I didn't know how to communicate it and I didn't want to give up on it. So I was always still trying to get it fixed or look for ways to, to remedy it. And it kind of dragged out to where I just kind of slowly just disappeared. And at that point felt, felt rejected within myself and felt like I, um, yeah, just, just felt like I didn't do what I wanted to do and what I set out to do. And I didn't reevaluate along the way enough. And I also felt like I knew, I knew my value system that my life didn't revolve around my identity as an athlete, but I started realizing slowly after having to stop and not racing and wrestling with it for a couple of years that even though I was hyper aware of it, even with more than sport, trying to portray that message of there's more to life than our sports, that I was still tied up into the identity of being an athlete and wanting to be the world's best and wanting to be at the top and everything that, that went along with that. And so disappearing and walking away, um, quiet retirement. I never announced my retirement. I never did an interview that I was done. I just kind of just, just disappeared. And in a way it was good, but in a way it was hard because I never had like a hard stop. I never said, okay, it's done. And then I could move on. So I kind of always wrestled for a while with my identity of where I fit in, what I was doing. And being in here in Hawaii has such amazing aspects to it and the culture and everything about it. But at the same time, it's a really easy place to get lost. It's an easy place to disappear and to know and to have no one find you. And if it wasn't for the Ironman World Championships being here, I think I would have completely been just MIA from the sport for six years. And only because of Ironman and connecting with the athletes that come and sponsors kind of brought me back into it only annually until just in the last year or so where I've kind of just 
gotten back into it and, and getting better with kind of my mindset and kind of where I'm at and what I want to do. So did they figure out, answer. did they figure out the genesis of that injury, I guess, or the, you know, why you would be having that kind of swelling and, and why the injury was what it was, or did, did it always kind of remain mysterious? Um, kind of remains mysterious. I still deal with it every day. That was one of the hardest things too, is, is I'm literally reminded of it every day. When I wake up in the morning, it's painful. My heels painful. Anytime I try to jog or do anything, it, it, it hurts. If I sit down for a while and stand up, it hurts. And so I've lived with this constant reminder, which makes it hard to move on to that, that I'm not perfect. Or in some ways at times we look at it and go, Oh, I'm a failure. Right. Or I didn't, I didn't finish. And that was the area that you have to get through when you're reminded of it every day. But the, it wasn't quite Achilles. I went and saw experts. We got MRIs and CAT scans and there's a little bit of scar tissue in there. There's bursa stuff. So it's not really as much as Achilles as the attachment in the back of the heel. Um, I tried PRP long time ago, like five, six years ago, but I haven't done anything in the last four or five years to, to try to fix it at this point. Because when I finally stopped, I said, you know what? I need to stop because I don't want to get to a point where it ruptures or something bad happens that doesn't, that, that stops me from being able to play soccer with my kids or interact or run around. So I can do everyday basic activities, but I can't train. I can jog now. I've been running for the last, I don't know, four or five months and really enjoying that process. Again, I'm running really slow. Um, I mean, really slow. And I mean, for me, and it's enjoyable because now I'm at a place where I don't have like this pressure that I feel like I should be, I should be still a top or I should be a professional athlete. I just, I'm just an every man, Joe. I'm just, just, just a normal guy that is just trying to do life and work and raise and raise a family and, um, and really give back. And that's kind of my next thing in life is just, you want to have fulfillment in life. I think you want to, uh, as far as contribute and give back. And I did that when I was racing, but I was so heavy on about me throughout that process, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because you have to set these goals and you have to want to achieve great things to move forward. That's what excites you. That's what gives you passion and, and, and as far as purpose every day. But even when I was racing, I was giving back and looking at ways that wanting to, to leave something behind, wanting to leave something in a better place, the sport, those in need, rallying athletes around that as well. And, and lost that for the last, last few years and just getting back into it just in a, in a different way, but um, really wanting to serve and, and see, see more and more people succeed in the sport and get through some of the errors that I made and kind of skip through some of that stuff so they don't have to make the same mistakes that I made and, and learn from my successes as well and get them a little, and get them in there a little quicker and easier and faster. You've got to be in a pretty unique scenario where I think about a lot of the pros that, transition into that like post um a list i call them the celebrity pros like the post celebrity pro status and like them trying to figure out what they do after triathlon is like a really long almost like an awkward process trying to create like another business after your main business while leveraging your your old business but you like kind of had a forced clean break well maybe not a clean break but you had a forced break and you're also forced to I think think about it now with the injury like still just kind of nagging at you do you ever talk to 
any of the like five to 10 years out of their main pro career kind of pros and hear the struggles that they go with, go through and like want to help them? Is there like anything that you look at and you're like, dude, I've had to go through this myself in a real forced way. Yeah, no, totally. And, and like I said, when I was in the sport, I felt like I was, I thought I was well equipped and prepared for retirement. I didn't retire in the time that I wanted or the way that I wanted, but I thought I still had a grasp on it because I saw, I saw this process with other athletes I looked up to and saw them retire and saw them go through that phase. And so I didn't think it was going to affect me as much. And honestly, like it, it affected me a lot more than people realize. And I let on and that's what I said, like being here in Hawaii, it's easy to avoid. It's easy to hide and it's easy to not, to not address and not to face stuff. And, um, you know, had some, some friends that, that took their lives in the past, you know, as far as Dave Mira a few years ago. Um, and then son, me, uh, as far as Garcia this year, um, he's still in the, in the hospital right now, but he tried to take his life, um, a couple of months ago and, you know, athletes, not just as for triathlon, but across, across the board, there's just this identity process of an expectation of what you're supposed to live up to and what you're supposed to be. And it's not just in sport. It's in every aspect of life. It's in, it's in men as being men and women as being women and, and the role models that, that we had and the expectations of the roles of who we're supposed to be as a man and as, and as a woman. And in society today, I think a lot of that is un, unrealistic and with social media and everything, there's a lot of pressures behind that. And so, yeah, that's part of my, my passion is to really to take the trials that I've had over the last four or five years and help those just stay on track a little bit better or to address things a little bit earlier to not have to have someone to be able to talk with or speak through some of the processes of things that they're thinking about because as as a so-called professional athlete and being at that stage like you, like I said earlier you try that you're you live this life of you're supposed to you're supposed to know it all already you're supposed to know the answers and so you you don't really need to go to some to somebody else you know for me, when I was racing, I was okay with asking people about physical stuff and asking people about how to get better and learning from their training and because it was very linear and cut and dry. Like, I want to be the best in the world. I want to be the best athlete. So I'm going to glean as much information, as much knowledge, and as much experience from everywhere I can. Research, online, books, um, learning about um, you know training techniques, training with the best athletes in the world in the sport of cycling and the best runners in the world, uh, Olympic athletes and swimmers. Like I aligned myself with the best in the world. I sought out to say, I'm going to go train with the best runners in the world. And I'm going to go spend months with them. I'm going to learn how to be the best cyclists in the sport. And early on, all I rode with was cyclists. And I rode on a pro tour team or not a pro tour team, but a, a, a continental pro team in the U S and trained with them and learned from them because I wanted to be the best. So it's easy to, to ask questions and to want to get the knowledge in that. But when it came to life and um, more personal stuff, it was harder to find people to look at because there was no one saying, Hey, I've got it 
I know what I'm doing because none of us really never know what we're doing, but it's easier to say that in, in sports, like, Hey, I've got it. I've got it dialed. So I'll help you. I'll coach you. Um, but in life there is no one that's saying I'm the coach, like, let me help you. So I'm going to, that's my mission. And that's my goal is that I want to help people in the sport. I want to give them the knowledge that I have, the experience I have from my years of racing and from, um, my wealth of knowledge that I've gained from coaches and athletes and, um, want to help them in the sport and get there a little bit quicker and easier and, and see success. So they're not wasting their time. So they're not training so many amateurs train so much more than I ever trained. And you don't need to, and you just have to have a specific purpose in every workout that you do. But in that process and in helping them in that, I also want to help them in just in life and life goals and passion and purpose and your mindset, which will help in your performance. I was really good at mindset when I was racing, how to set goals, how to visualize, how to process, how to uh, overcome obstacles that you'd see during the race by being prepared beforehand. Um, just all the visual aspects and mental aspects that really separate, you know, an average or a good athlete to be an outstanding athlete. And I think that was kind of my, my hidden bag of tricks was not as much my talent, but my mental game and my focus and drive. It's, uh, it's so interesting hearing you talk about this post pro life, um, and, and the, almost the identity crisis that you went through, although it shouldn't be surprising because I guess, you know, we talk to a lot of young pros on our podcast, um, folks who have just entered the pro ranks quite often. And, you know, across the board, it's like, I can't believe I get to live this amazing life, you know, and I get up and I train and I travel the world to races. And, and of course, like you say, you're among the best in the world of what you're doing. You're pushing yourself, um, all that kind of stuff. And then when you finish as a pro, it's like, where do you put all that? Where do you put all that motivation? Where do you put all that drive? Plus, you know, how do you go from, not that it's an easy lifestyle by any means, but it's a much, you know, you're not getting up at 7am to go to an office for eight hours and under fluorescent lights and air conditioning all day and then go home and you only have a little bit of spare time. Like you're outside and you're swimming, you're running, you're biking, you're active. It's a great life. So it's so interesting to hear you say that because we don't talk to many former pros and, and hear this side of it. And it's great that obviously you figured out your niche, but um, I'd imagine there's a lot more out there, maybe like you say, who have ended up taking their lives just because what do you even, how do you make sense of your new life that way when you got to do this amazing thing for so long? Yeah. And there's science behind it too, just the endorphins, you know, being active and, and your body moving every day, all day. And that's your, that's what you did. It gives you life. It gives you energy. You have a purpose. You have a goal. You know where you're driving. You know where you're going. You know what you're doing. And when that's over, there is a process of trying to find out what is that next thing. And for me, it was real estate and doing development. And and I built my house and spent time doing that. And I was working with more than sport and growing that. So I was doing things. I, I kept myself being busy, but inside I still wrestled with certain aspects of just identity, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a process. I think we all we always go through, and and also like being a pro, it was amazing, right? Like I loved every aspect of it. I loved the opportunity. I feel so blessed to be able to have the life that I had and 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 do what I did. Um, and you know, I wouldn't change really any of it. Um, I look back sometimes and look at things and things that I may have said and it embarrassed me a little bit or I was like, man, I, I had a bad attitude or I didn't approach it in the right way or I didn't treat that person or that thing in the right, in the, in, in the right way. But 
I think the important thing is to look at it is if we're always progressing and always learning and always growing, then we're never going to, we're always going to look back a few years from us or from last year, the year before, or five years ago and go, you know, I've grown from then. And so where I am today and where I'm going to be in two years or five years, I hope to look back in five years at what I'm telling you now and going, wow, I didn't really know very much. You know, I want to continue to learn and I want to continue to grow so I can continue to grow myself, but then help others grow and, and improve, improve their lives and whatever skills or work or uh, accomplishments that they want to accomplish on the way. You know, um, we all want the best version of ourselves and we want to excel in areas. And that's amazing. That's what keeps us going. Is there anything you would have changed in your pro racing career, whether it be training or mindset looking back on it now? Um, yeah, I, I think there's, I, I think patience, patience probably would have been one of the bigger ones. Um, and that's usually coincides with, um, like getting hurt. <laughs> you know, I was, I was running with a nagging, you know, slightly nagging Achilles and I ignored it and kept pushing it because the year before when I got it, it went away. And the year before that, when I got it, it went away. And then the next year, it didn't go away. And I just kept going and kept going and kept going. So not having patience, not focusing enough on stretching and flexibility, um, understanding uh, the load and the fatigue and the, and the demand that you put on your body. Um, you don't realize it until later. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I'm I'm, I'm old. I feel like I'm, I'm 47 years old, but when I wake up, sometimes I feel like I'm a lot older, Yeah, that you is know, hunched old. over back hurts a little bit. You know, we've, you tweaked your body going to what we do in triathlon and Ironman, especially when you're racing. I mean, everyone races and participates in the, in the sport of Ironman and triathlon, right? You all want the best and you always push yourself. And, and so I don't want to take away from anyone's performances, but when you look at the top ranks, in Olympic distance, half Ironman now, and now in Ironman, we were full out. Like you're maxing your body as hard as you can. And for a half Ironman, I remember when I started to do a half Ironman in four hours was like a huge, a huge deal. Like if you broke four hours, that was like unheard of, like phenomenal. Right? Now the women are doing it. Ironman. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Then, you know, when I retired my last, my last half Ironman, I think I did when I was national champion, I was 40, Four years old or 39 years old and when i showed up to that race i remember the night before talking with my wife going what am i doing there's i'm racing against guys that are half my age literally 20 year olds that i'm racing against in this half ironman and i don't know if i belong here anymore like i feel so old but i ended up winning and i went a 340 something like 341 or 342 or something like that and the times just change and you're just going all out and that's a lot of demand on your body especially with the the race circuit that's out there now where there's so much racing and now there's so much Ironman racing, like see athletes doing two, three, four Ironmans in a year. That's going to take its toll in time. That's going to be demanding on your body and later in life, it's going to take its effects. Okay. I want to start getting into your, like your, your new coaching, just kind of your coaching in general. Cause Lauren Goss, one of your athletes, awesome pro. We had her, on the the show and people need to listen to that episode. Like we got so many messages about how Lauren yeah, was a great episode. Was, oh, 
well, she, she's a great she person. And Kim did all the work. I just made sure to hit record and not <laughs> curse too much. <laughs> um, but she talked a lot about how you've helped her. And so I, I kind of want to like, we're dealing with one of the best cyclists in triathlon here. And now somebody who's going into, into coaching, I, like I'm, I'm intrigued. I want to geek out a little bit on what your philosophies are on coaching. And I want to kind of just, uh, introduce this with something that you have written on your website and it's success does not come from putting in physical hard work. It's about having a team around you that you team around you that can help guide you in each area and the overlooked and underutilized mental aspect to seeing your success before you even enter the game. So as an introduction with that, why don't you just talk about like, what are your you worked with Matt Dixon, so we'll we'll use one of his lines. Like, what are your pillars of performance? What are the important things that you think people need to get in place to do well in this sport? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this process of going through retirement and then wanting to coach and got asked a lot to coach people. And I didn't want to become a coach that had a ton of athletes and had 30 or 40 athletes and never giving enough attention to any of them. You know, and I think coaching somebody takes time and it takes effort and it takes a lot of, um, mental, like I think about it a lot. And so I only coach a very small handful. Um, I only coach four people at a a time because I need that. I need that time, right? Like I need to put that energy towards each, each, each person. And from executives that work a lot that are type a, that want an outlet and want something, something to do to an age grouper, to a pro like Lauren Goss. And it's, it's really fun and rewarding to walk that journey with them. And it's really just paying attention to what moves them and what motivates them. And then following through a, a simple plan, Um, the process doesn't have to be super technical and, and, and crazy formulas and all this stuff. There just needs to be consistency in your action in following a plan and you follow that plan and you don't get sucked into what everyone else is doing. And I think in today's world, that's a huge challenge with just social media and Strava and Zwift, all these great tools, which are amazing and wattage, like they're amazing and can help you really perform well, but you can also get caught up in how am I compared to somebody else? And what are my numbers compared to this person? And you have to, or being out on a group ride and going, I don't want to get dropped by this person or I want to drop this person and I want to show my strength. And that was always my philosophy when I raced is I, I didn't move to Boulder. I didn't live down South and train with all the triathletes. I lived in NorCal and had my little group of the, that I trained with and they weren't triathletes. And I think you just have to, um, look at yourself and what you, what your goals are and what your abilities are and and focus on what's good about them and then learn about the things that you need to improve upon and just follow a plan to execute them. So, Can we dig a little bit into your biking? Like, Why do you think that you were so good at cycling? Uh, I mean, my first response would be because I rode with cyclists. Mm. <laughs> early on that's a good response cam, cam Worf says the same thing <laughs> yeah i mean there's it 
cycling is is technical, but it's it's not technical. There's just a simple process, right? Like you have to do your base phase, you have to do your endurance, you got, and you have to stay within the certain zones that are going to build your certain energy systems, and you have to be in a certain area, certain zone to build your aerobic capacity. You have to look at your strength and do specific workouts that build your strength. And then you have to work on your speed. And there's a certain time of year that you slot in each one of those. And there's a certain um, times per month or how often you do it per week. You can't go out and hammer every day. You can't go out on the bike and hammer every day. You can't go out and go, I want to ride four hours every time I go ride. There's a specific purpose in everything. And every top cyclist I've ever worked with, consulted, talked to, or rode with, um, from pure roadies. I learned so much from them on how to execute training and only few triathletes that I know that I've talked to, like, um, like Seb B was one of them. Um, Sebastian Kinley, uh, Jan Fredeno, like I've talked to him about his training. Um, and, and both of those guys have specific workouts that are very similar to the workouts that I did. And they're strength oriented. And sometimes a lot of people do these strength workouts too hard. They're doing too high a wattage because they want, they think if they go higher wattage, they're going to get stronger. And a lot of times you just have to slow down and step back a little bit and train your engine at that effort. And once you're, you're super efficient at, at that effort, you're going to be able to move past that. You're going to be able to move beyond that. So it's understanding your zones and understanding where you're currently at, knowing where you want to go and monitoring it along the way but it's, it's truly kind of a simple process and same with running a lot of times, especially triathletes. I remember I had to do a run workout. I would put on my shoes and go run the half hour as fast as I could to get done. Or if I had a transition run, it'd be like, I'd hop off my bike, put on my shoes and go. And then when I went and trained with Olympic runners and marathon champions and literally learning how they run, it was a huge eye opener of just getting like how you're supposed to warm up and how you really only need one key speed workout a week and one key threshold workout a week. And that's it. The rest of it's kind of fluff. And if you're a triathlete, you can eliminate some of that fluff because you're doing biking and swimming. And a lot of people just do too much and they not run too much because it's not about running too many miles, but it's about being specific in each workout. Every workout you do should have a purpose. And if you don't have a purpose and you don't know what it is, then you shouldn't be doing it, right? Because you're not going to get anything out of it. And that was my thing with Matt Dixon, you know, when I worked with him. You know, I worked with a lot of great athletes. My very first coach was was Mark Allen and learned a wealth of knowledge from him. For me, it was, if I'm going to get involved in the sport and I want to be the best in the world, how, do I, how, how am I going to get there? And who can I learn from? And who has been there before? And I was like, okay, well, when I got started, I was like, who is the best in the world? It was Mark Allen. So I got an article that Mark Allen wrote on how to do a workout and how to train for your first, your first triathlon. I followed it to a T, did everything that it said in there and I had a good race. And then I got a chance to meet him through someone else. And I asked him if he would coach me and he wasn't really coaching at the time. This is before he did his coaching business and he agreed to coach me. I learned so much from him and I worked with him for two or three years. And then, um, then I ended up working with Greg Welch, looking for someone that, that, his with with his personality that was super excited and energetic and had fun and um just had just like a zest for life and that attracted me where mark allen was very diligent and and methodical and had long-term plans and looked at like your five-year plan 
and I was young and I was like, I want my, my two month plan. Like I want to get this <laughs> thing rolling. And, and Greg was kind of like, get out and hit it and have fun. So the, the, the step up from the base phase and the years of Mark Allen to the Greg Welch really improved my performance and saw speed play more in effect in, in that phase. And then I coached myself for a while. And then I worked with Lance um, Watson for a while and I learned some great things from him as well. And then Matt Dixon, I talked to him and it was more of a collaboration where I went to him and I said, Hey, I have all this knowledge and I understand the swimming workouts. I understand the running I'm supposed to be doing and the biking, but I need someone to oversee what I'm doing because if you coach yourself, you end up making mistakes and you end up thinking you can keep going more. It's good to have someone on the outside looking in. And so for me, Matt Dixon was that person where we really, this was the beginning of his coaching as well. And I think we both learned a lot from each other. There, you know, like my philosophy, my plan, my bike workout that I say, Hey, Matt, these are the workouts I want to do. This is where I want them to fit, make sure it all makes sense. And what dialogue about it. He would write me a plan and I would talk to him about it. We would talk for like an hour or so and, and dialogue what I thought and what his reasoning was. And sometimes I was right. And sometimes he was right. And I would follow exactly what he said. And sometimes he would adjust to the information and knowledge that I had. And so we really learned a lot through that process. And I think that's what made me successful. And that's what made me, um, really, really, uh, excel, you know? Um, so I have a, I have to ask you this question here before we get into the new coaching services that you're offering. So, I did a video several years ago about the biggest meltdowns in Kona. And <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am, like, you know, short, kind of chubby triathlete out of Winnipeg. I'm like, nobody actually watches these YouTube videos because I hadn't really started traveling and met anyone that that has watched the videos and then sure enough last year in Kona I see you on the street and you're like oh yeah you put me in the biggest meltdowns list (laughs) um yeah that was because of my son my son was you know my son's a huge tri fan and he was on YouTube at that age they're watching YouTube and doing all these things so he was on the bus and he's like yeah you should check this guy out he talked about meltdowns and it was the greatest thing and so yeah he was was a proud son that, that I was on the YouTube on your YouTube channel as the meltdown of the of, of all time. <laughs> no, I don't think it was all time. As you put it, it was like the meltdown that wasn't the meltdown because it was like well, describe what, it like for the two... for people out there who don't know what you're talking so about. So I'll I'll give the short version because I want to ask Chris what it was like. But what was it? You can clarify. Like two miles from the finish line, Craig Alexander passed you in 2009, and the thing that I have in my head, this really sticks out to me is shortly after he passed you, you stopped and put your hands on your knees and looked up and it was like a look of that was my chance, but I don't want to put words in your mouth and you probably know what those words were. And this is uh, could be PG 13 rated podcast. If those words were nasty, can you just describe the few minutes before and, and the time that you got past and, and what it was like? Yeah. Um, well, that's the magic of TV. Um, some of that was in reverse order. Oh. Actually, what happened. Yeah, so they, they broadcast it in a way. The Iron Man Live, obviously, was live. But the broadcast, they want to show different clips at different times yeah. to create that, that drama, right? And so what, what actually happened was coming out of the Energy Lab, 
the last split that I got was Craig was three and a half minutes behind me. And so I was like, okay, I got six miles to go. I can totally do this. No problem. Not no problem, but I was suffering and hurting and I was running. Problem with being in the lead and having a three and a half minute lead is you get that three and a half minute lead update after Craig already ran by that spot when he got the update, then the update gets relayed to me, which could be two or three miles later. So the three and a half minutes was not me coming out of the energy lab. It was the time that I had on him when I went in the energy lab because that's when they got the split of him running fast. So about two miles later, I got another update that said he was like 50 seconds behind me. And I was like, well, what happened to the the two and a half minutes or the two minutes in between there? And so at that point, I was running and I was running to an aid station. And I remember I was knowing that he was going to catch me at some point that I was trying to stretch. And so I tried to stretch a couple times and I ran to the next aid station. And that's when I put my hands on my hips or on my legs or whatever, bent over and like, my, my brother ran by uh, right prior to, or right after that. And he ran by and he was like, come on, get going. So he got me going again. And that's, I think that shot was me at the beginning of the aid station going, I'm about to die, looking up and seeing my brother, Matt, yelling at me, or as he came up, up to me to yell at me to get me encouraged to keep running. And this was still when Curly was maybe 50 seconds or a minute behind me. And then, so Curly caught me at like four miles to go. He caught me at like mile 22, 21, 22, something like that. I think it was 22. And he ran past me. And I remember he ran past me and I was like, man, that's it. And he got maybe 50 yards in front of me and something in me clicked. I heard a voice in my head that says, no, run up on him, bridge up to him and run with him. And I literally didn't question it. I just went and I bridged up to him and I ran on, on, on his side. And we ran neck and neck for almost two miles. We ran through two aid stations. My pace went down to 6.15 pace or 6.10 pace. I think we were running at the time. And those, that mile and a half to two miles was the, to me, it was the easiest two miles of the whole marathon because I had someone to run with. Because <laughs> I had someone to just cling to. And the only thing I had to think about was running with him and sitting right on him and using his energy to pull me along. And that's all I thought about. And then towards the end of that mile and a half or two miles that I was with him, I heard his voice in my head say, go ahead and drop him and run past him. And I questioned that. And I was like, there's no way I can try to drop Craig. He's the fastest runner in the sport. And I just had like everything flashed in my mind. Well, if I try to run past him, I try to drop him. I could totally blow up and pop. And then I could collapse. And then I could end up like 10th or 15th and not finish. What am I going to do? And then literally as my mind is processing all this doubt that I put in my mind, he literally just started to run away from me. And that was with like a mile and a half to go or two miles to go, maybe. And literally it was right before the uphill, before you go up to the top of Pilani. And so even going up that hill to the top of Pilani, I remember watching him and he was looking back. He was maybe 45 seconds in front of me at the time. And there was still hope. And I had to reframe my mind, recapture my thoughts and being down and, and, couldn't believe I was going to lose and all this stuff to saying, no, anything can happen. I'm going to bridge across to him. You know, he could go through a bad spot. He could have issues. He could cramp up. Anything can happen. So don't give up. And I just remember just trying to keep my pace going to see if I can still catch him. And then coming down Polani, he just blasted that downhill. My quads were ready to just get torn off my legs and I just didn't have anything left in me. And so he ended up beating me by like two minutes, but most, most of that was in the last mile, mile and a half. Um, that so is that was, not not at all how they made it look on camera. D- does he still qualify for your meltdown list? 
I don't think so. You, if, I think you have if, to revise your meltdown you, video. If now. you can bridge back up to Crowley, <laughs> I yeah, I might have to do like we call this try MZ when there's <laughs> when there's drama and and little dirt that we get to throw around. Dirt on NBC for their broadcast. Wow, yeah. <laughs> we uh, we had Mark Allen on our very very first podcast a couple of years ago. And one of the things that was like a light bulb ping in my head was he said that that negative energy that, oh, you know, I can't, I can't bridge up or I can't make it or I'm not going to do it. He said like that is a a physical drain on your body and you've got to train yourself to get that out of your head so it doesn't happen in the race. Do you think that that had any sort of, do you think it had an effect on like right as you were saying that that's when Crowley pulled away? Absolutely. I mean, and that's, and it, yeah, I mean, that's my whole career and my whole success. Like like I said, I really believe it was a large aspect of my mindset and my belief and using that to succeed. You know, there's so many fit guys that are out there. There's so many guys that are way more talented than I ever was. And I would race them and every time I'd beat them. Um, and, and it wasn't until like, some of the guys like Crowley, like I used to beat Crowley early on. I used to beat him in the half Ironmans all the time. Not all the time, but a lot. And and he started to to learn and to improve and to grow and to to get how to push himself beyond be, as far as beyond and, and really get more out of himself. And so much of the sport is your mental game. And that plays a huge part. And as soon as you, the questions that you ask yourself is how your body's going to react. So if you're asking yourself bad questions, if you're doubting yourself, then instantly the energy is going to get sucked out and the energy is going to drop. And so Crowley didn't run away from me there. I just literally just slowed down by a percent or two. And he just started moving away because my energy just dropped. I didn't have anything left in me. I started doubting, like, could I run this pace anymore? Can I keep going? Like, I don't have any energy. And it just kind of gets pushed out. And, and that's where the one that's the person that's more prepared for a race or more prepared for when those things get difficult, how are you going to get yourself out of it? Cause you're all always going to have challenges. You're always going to have challenges in races. You're always going to have challenges in life. And when in the race, when you hit a brick wall, asking those right questions and evaluating the situation that's right in front of you, that it's not a brick wall, that it's a curb or it's a, or it's a half wall and you just climb over it instead of realizing that it's like this huge brick wall that you can't get past. Like there's always ways around it, over it, through it, whatever. And you have to know how to address those things when they happen. And that's one of the things I've been working with Lauren about is just there's the training, there's the the right zones for her to work out in. There's the right approach. There's the right balance. There's making sure she's getting enough rest, making sure her sleep and her diet is good. And then making sure her mental drive is there to where she believes in herself that she knows what she's gonna um go after that she knows how to ask those right questions she knows how to visualize and prep before a race and also visualize and prep in your mind in training you know what you what you do in training what you do day in and day out is going to become a habit which is going to show itself up when you come to a race when things get difficult so in every day you have to have that same mindset have you ever been able to talk to Craig Alexander about what he was thinking while you were running side by side? Uh, I never asked him that specific question, but yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about that race and a lot of races that we've had before. And, and I think we both agree. We've both talked about this and, and have said this multiple times is that we both brought 
the best out of each other, you know, like for a year and a half, two years, I tried to race every race that he was at because I knew that I had to put myself in that situation. I had to push myself. If I wanted to beat him in Kona, I had to beat him in other races. And there were races that he actually adjusted what he was going to go do to race me at races that I was going to go do as far as to do that same thing. And Kona 2009, national uh, world champs in the half Ironman in 2000, I think it was 2011, I think it was, where I got second and he got first. Um, the same thing, you know, he literally, and he, he's such an amazing guy. I remember, uh, at Kona here and then also in Boise and one other race, I think him and Miri, his wife, they both came up to me and my wife after, um, at separate times and apologized. I remember Crowley, he apologized. Hey, Chris, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you didn't win. And, and someone could look at that and go, yeah, like, what does that mean? Of course, like, that's ridiculous. But he's really sincere, I believe. And I believe that if it, if it wasn't going to be him, that he wanted me to win that race. But every true athlete has that drive in them that no matter what, you're going to push yourself to win. And, and he had to, and he literally, I think at times he wrestled with that, like he wanted me to win, but of course he's going to win. And so he felt bad at the same time because we have great respect for, for, for who we are, who he is. And I think he has great respect for who I am. And that relationship, I think made a great fight, made great races. Um, yeah, he's just a great guy and a great athlete. As well as a lot of other guys that I've raced with. I've had stories like that with a lot of guys. And I think that's, one thing that's cool about our sport and the era that I was in, and there's still a lot of that out right now too that I see, is that there's an encouragement and there's a respect for who you're racing against. I don't see anyone kind of bad mouthing or or being mean in it. Like there's there's a great family, there's a great support, and there's a great respect in in what we do and the demands that it takes. You're just delivering up fabulous nuggets on this podcast here this is great uh no really some cool i mean i i never would have uh, gosh i never would have thought that that kind of thought would have gone through his head that he was actually concerned about you not winning like that's that's really cool that's really neat to hear um we're getting near the time we want to start wrapping up so we don't want to end before asking you about your new coaching offering so tell us all about this yeah i'm real excited because you know like i mentioned i love to I love to take my knowledge and my experience and everything that I've learned and really see people succeed and get the most out of themselves. And I like, I enjoy coaching, but I only have time to coach a few people. You know, I got family and work and other things I'm doing and, and I just don't have the bandwidth to really devote to coach a lot of people. But I have that knowledge and I really want to serve and really want to see people grow. And I know that I have the knowledge to help them get there quicker and easier and really solve a lot of issues because there are always a lot of them are the same issues. And so what I'm launching is a masterclass. It's, it's different than your masterclasses and what you guys do. Your guys' stuff is amazing. But what, what I'm doing is I'm trying to create a, a live connection. Um, the first one is going to be virtual where it's going to be online through like zoom call. So like a conference call where I can interact and get questions and, and really just, teach the foundation, teach the skill set, teach the simple practices and habits and, and training techniques that I use to see my success and the things that I've learned. 
share them. So then these people or these coaches that will come to these clinics will learn a lot that they can then share themselves to those that they work with or apply to their own lives in, in their training. Um, so just guiding that I love the thing that I love the most is I love to consult. So I love meeting with top pro athletes. You know, I met with Gomez, I met with Jan, you know, have sort of consults did with a lot of the guys in the top 10, a lot of the girls that are at the top of their sport. And I love to just share my knowledge about Kona, about the Ironman, about how to race somebody else, mindset, goal setting, whatever, acid nutrition. Um, that's always a huge thing. Um, and really I've, I've helped a lot and I want to continue to do that. So this is a way for me to reach a lot of people at one time and build a relationship and share my skill set with them. And then beyond that, it's, creating a, a monthly group that's a part of that, which is where there's ongoing teaching. So then every month I do a live teaching and we in, in to, to interact in our Facebook group where I get to hear about the successes and the growth and the, and the, the challenges or whatever you may have in the sport. And we, as a community, support one another and help, help the group grow um, and get better. And then from that, I'm going to do a bunch of live ones as well. So I'll travel around to different cities and do different like one day or two day mm. master classes or masterminds or whatever we want to call it or a webinar or a conference or whatever. But it's really devoting my knowledge in the sport in training, but also bringing on so much of the mindset and the mental and your personal lives and relationships and how you balance work and family and all that and really just try to help develop and help people walk through their lives and get the most out of their sport and get the most out of their family and the most out of life. And I'm saying this with raising my hand saying, I don't know it all and I'm continuing learning. And that's what I said earlier, like in a year from now or two years from now, I want to look back and go, I didn't know anything then because I know a lot from what I've learned and I want to share that, but I want to continue to learn and I want to teach those things that I'm learning. And I think by being authentic being true and sharing my weaknesses and sharing the areas that I screwed up and sharing the things that didn't work and that I learned from, I think a lot of people can learn from that and don't have to go through it and, and get there a lot, a lot easier with more success. I like this Chris Liedo, Kim. <laughs> He's all right. <laughs> he lets so, me yeah, get so away with saying that, that he melted down in Kona. And still comes on the podcast still comes anyway. on the show. <laughs> I like what you're yeah. doing here, Chris. It's cool. Like, no, I'm, I'm so glad that, that we had to, we were able to line this up like literally just a couple hours after you announced this course. Cause I saw that you're teasing it a little bit on social media. I'm like, I wonder what this is, especially after hearing about what you've done with Lauren. Like uh, it, it's nice to see you back in triathlon. And I think what you're doing, having that time away, whether it be from, the injury or just being in Kona. Um, I think it's a really unique perspective. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing a part two to this podcast at some point. <laughs> yes. There's I, lots of other questions. I could just we let wanted you run to... with this, Chris. Yeah. This gold. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Good stuff. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. So yeah, if anyone wants to know more about it, they can go to my website at chrislieta.com and hear about it. And, and um, would love to meet more people and help more people. And hopefully through this podcast that, some people got a few little tidbits and nuggets that can help them out and get them through their next race or their next obstacle or whatever else they got going on. 
Well, that's awesome, Chris. I'm sure that people will definitely get those nuggets from you because I certainly have. I know Taryn has. So thank you so much for sharing all of this and good luck with the new uh, new coaching offering. I think it sounds fantastic and, and no doubt you're going to do well with it. So thank you. And when we're ready to buy our house in Kona, we will call you. <laughs> Let me know. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time. All right. Well, thanks again for listening to another episode and I hope you got a little bit of knowledge out of it. I hope you learned a few things. And I hope that uh, those things that you learn that you guys can take action today uh, in the next 24 hours, write them down, write down some new goals that you may have, write down some things that you learn that you want to adapt into your life and take action today by telling somebody, share this podcast with your friends, uh, with those that follow you on Facebook or Instagram. And please go to the Chris Leto podcast and make sure you guys leave a review. Give us a review and leave some comments. Uh, really appreciate it and help promote this podcast out there. And thanks again for listening. And make sure you support the sponsors at today.com. Thanks again for joining. And I appreciate it. And may you guys have an amazing week this next week. And I look forward to seeing you guys back here for the next episode. Aloha.